Rinkwad Vancouver, pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wad and J-Pad here with you as the offseason rolls on for the Vancouver Canucks, but the postseason rolls on for the Abbotsford Canucks, who moved on to the second round of the Calder Cup playoffs. J-Pad over the weekend, they sweep Bakersfield, and now they'll face off against the AHL's top team. And the Calgary Wranglers in a best of five that kicks off in Calgary. Yeah, it's kind of funny how the world works. Like, it's come so full circle here that this hockey season started in Penticton at Young Stars. And what's Young Stars? Well, it's the Canucks, it's the Flames, it's the Oilers, it's the Jets, too. But the Canucks just knocked off Bakersfield, so that was Edmonton's farm team. And now their reward for that is to face the Flames farm team, the Calgary Wranglers. As you said, best team in the American Hockey League. Like, not just in the conference. This was the best team in the American Hockey League, 51-17-4 for the Calgary Wranglers. So they mean some business. Abbotsford had a nice season and a good record, but not at that level. And, you know, the thing that's really interesting for me when the schedule came out, and I I know I wasn't alone because I saw a fair bit of chatter on Twitter, was, hang on a sec, Calgary's the top seed, and yet they're only getting two of the five potential games in this series. It's the best of five. And apparently this is American Hockey League uh, to cut down on travel. And that's understandable, although travel from Calgary to Abbotsford. Now, you don't know that going in, obviously, but that's not onerous travel. Like Canucks could have played Colorado's farm team in this round. That's a little tougher travel. Whatever the case, decision has to be made and the higher seed gets to pick whether it wants to open at home or if it wants the potential of three games at the back end, including a fifth and deciding game. And I love that. Like, I love the fact that there's some strategy even before the series begins. And clearly the Calgary Wranglers thought, no, you know what? We got the Saddle Dome. It's sitting here empty. They don't play all of their games at the Saddle Dome during the regular season, but they've moved into the big rink here in the postseason. And I guess they think they can probably sell a ton of tickets, get a big crowd in there, make it a tough environment. We told you they're a good home ice team. And so they figure in a short series like this one, I'm supposing, I don't know this, I haven't seen any rationale, but I would guess that in a short series, the idea is start at home, win those two games, yeah. and then you put all the pressure on the other team, even if they've got home ice for the final three games, if necessary, you think, well, we're the best team in the league, we can go on the road and get one of the three that we will need. But the flip side of that is if Abbotsford can get in there and get the split, time home ice advantage for them so it's a calculated risk on the part of the calgary wranglers and they may have the biggest difference maker of all in dustin wolf who's the ahl mvp gotten to made his nhl debut in the flames final game of the regular season that didn't matter but uh, he did touch nhl ice there but this guy not just the top goaltender the mvp in the american hockey league that's what uh, the baby canucks are going to be up against in this next round Former Everett Silvertip in that as well, mm-hmm. Dustin yep. Wolf. Uh, seventh round pick of the Flames back in 2019. So still a youngster, 22 years old. I uh, just turned 22, actually. Yeah, bold move, Cotton, when it comes to <laughs> yeah. the uh, Calgary Wranglers, because you're absolutely right. You get a split and the pressure is on at that point. It's funny, too, because the Pacific Division was really stacked when it comes to the AHL. Coachella's team down there as well was one of the best teams in the in the AHL as well. So Basically, Abbotsford knows what it's like to play tough competition because it's within their own division in the Pacific Division. But you're right. Like, if they get that split, then it's game on for Abbotsford here. And really, like, what we've seen from this series, like, we're seeing the guys that 
I think Canuck fans, you know, want to see step up. You know, Spencer Martin gets a shutout in game one. Archer Seelofs, they went with the tandem in game two, gets the W there. Nils Hoaglander looks like he's a step above the rest when it comes, or at least when it came to that first series against uh, Bakersfield. He has four points, two goals in that series. I mean, listen, if you're a Canucks fan right now, it's not the AHL veterans, you know, the quad A guys that are stepping up. It's guys that maybe Spencer Martin might be in that category, but it's the guys that Canuck fans, you know, want to see eventually play in the big club that are that are that are starting to step up yeah hook ladder had uh both games sounded like he was good uh, we had ben lipcon last week after game one and that line with max sasson and kyle rao was uh, clearly the best line for the the baby canucks jack rathbone with goals in two games i mean feels like it's such a crossroads and important time for him if he could step up and have a big playoff then you know maybe he wins some in canucks management uh, over and get them back on his side and maybe you know, he becomes a legitimate possibility. Although, as I watch the NHL playoffs, the idea of two undersized defensemen on the back end at the big league level, I, I think, you know, Quinn Hughes isn't going anywhere. And I think that may work against a guy like Jack Rathbone. But, hey, I mean, if he's uh, one of the best players they've got in the system, then you want to believe that he's got a legitimate shot to make the big league club next year. You know, there's a couple of things. Colleton's got this decision again. He's right back to... Spencer Martin got a shutout and he went away from him, which is not conventional hockey wisdom, but, you know, it does speak to the fact that he's got trust. And I, I think the Canucks think that they've got an edge in depth when it comes to goaltending, but Calgary doesn't want to worry about his depth. They, they've got a guy and, yeah. and it's going to be Dustin Wolf. But, but, you know, I, I would assume that you go back to Spencer Martin now to start this next round, knowing full well that doesn't go well for him or the team then it's a pretty easy decision to turn to Arthur Silovs after that and you know we'll see if it remains in a rotation I guess the you know it's not a win and you're in because Spencer Martin didn't just win he got a shutout in the opener and couldn't keep the net so let's see what happens here as they move on in this series and again you know the first one was best of three so that was a real sprint best of five still like you want to get the importance of that first game like rather than falling behind and like if calgary know. drops that first game at that point there the, the pressure's on for them also big time now when we talked about you know not just the best team in the nhl but the second best home ice record in the league interesting that you mentioned coachella valley seattle's farm team with you know no history and in fact you know seattle still has sort of struggled to round out a prospect pool just because they're so new to all of this Coachella Valley, Palm Springs, they had the best home ice record in the American Hockey League. So I don't know if teams got trapped going in and, hey, it's Palm Springs. It's going to be easy. The living's pretty good. Squeezing around a golf somewhere, whatever. Is that, the case. Is that your dream beat right there? Oh, I, honestly, I think and like San Diego, Anaheim's farm teams in San Diego, which is a pretty sweet mm-hmm. place too. Like I do wonder if they'll get a leg up on veteran guys rounding out their career that want to sure. extend by a year or two. Yeah. And. Look, when I say veteran players, we're talking about guys in their 30s. We're not, we're not retirement. These aren't pensioners that are, you know, settling down and buying a place in Palm Springs to, to live out their, their final few years. But I do wonder if some of these locations are just like, yeah, like I'll go and try and squeeze out a few extra years on my career and play in San Diego or Palm Springs. So, you know, I, I didn't know. I think we'll see long term. Maybe it was the novelty effect of a, a first year, whatever the case. Coachella Valley was a tough place for, for teams to play. The Canucks. There's still a possibility they, if they pull off the upset here, because Coachella is still alive, they're playing Colorado in the other round. So it's possible that the Canucks could see Seattle's farm team in these playoffs. The thing that I, I guess I like for the Canucks is, well, there's a couple of things. One is 
Calgary got a first round bye. Just the way the playoffs in the AHL work, it's kind of a screwy system, but seven teams made it in the, in the division. So Calgary sat and watched. Calgary hasn't played a game since mid April and it's never easy. Like we see this in junior hockey where, you know, the Memorial Cup host gets bounced and then, you know, they sit around for a couple of weeks and then they got to try and pick up where they left off. And, you know, the Calgary is a good team, but so was Abbotsford and Abbotsford's now got two games of playoff experience under their belt coming in hot. You know, you have to, the way the, stru- the format structure, you don't have to win on the road if you're Abbotsford, but, but what an opportunity to get in there. And maybe Calgary isn't quite as sharp in that opener because they've been sitting around for a couple of weeks. So uh, hopefully Abbotsford can get the jump on them there. The other thing is Calgary and Abbotsford played 12 times in the regular season. Like it's not a balanced schedule at the minor league level. They know each other. 12 times. Like, yeah, you talk about knowing, you know, faults and weaknesses and strengths and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, these coaches are both going to be so familiar with their opponents. So will the players. And and again, it goes back even to, to young stars before the season began. Like these guys have seen a lot of each other. So, you know, hopefully that ramps up a little bit of built-in hatred between the two just to add a couple of layers of intensity. But yeah, 12 times in the regular season, not enough. Best of five here coming up starting later this week. Yeah, so it starts on Wednesday in Calgary and then Friday in Calgary. Then it takes a bit of a break. I know. A, a game three is not till May 3rd in Abbotsford, which is Which is the crazy. following Wednesday, right? Yeah. Like then it would yeah. go Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, a week and a bit from now. So yeah, in a short series, I mean, we say short series and then there's this massive break in the middle, which probably isn't ideal, but building availability and whatever. I mean, it's the same for both teams, but still like one of the things you love about playoff hockey is certainly in the first round of the NHL is every other night and you know there's a day between for everybody to catch their breath but then right back at it so for them to play two and then kind of go into hiding for a bunch of days not great but hey that's the way it is they both know it going in and we'll see if it impacts whoever if one team is trailing it probably allows them to just step back and and sort of you know, take stock of where they are. If you're up to nothing, you want to get back at it and try and get the sweep going. But, you know, that way, just based on the schedule. So I would imagine, you know, again, if Abbotsford can get the split, come home. We heard that, you know, the Abbotsford Center was rocking, that people were into it. I would imagine that that only gets ratcheted up from here. So looking forward to it. And we'll see where the series is when they get out of Cowtown. I wanted to ask the fans through our rink-wide Twitter account, Rinkwide Vancouver at Rinkwide Van, whether or not they're getting on board with Abbotsford. But I just, I kind of figured that people would just say yes. You're right. You, you know what I mean? I'm really curious, like how Canuck fans, if they are, like, are you really paying attention to what's going on in Abbotsford here? You know, and you and I, we have one eye on them, I think throughout the season, just checking in here and there to see how things are going, especially with some of the players that, you know, are potentially going to be Canuck, uh, Canucks in the future here. But, you know, right now, I, you know, I'm, I'm into it. Like, I want to see exactly what Abbotsford can do here. And not only that, like, like you mentioned, like if they get this split in Calgary, then it's a different series. So very, very bold move. Very, I don't know if I want to say arrogant move by Calgary, risky at that for sure. But as we saw throughout the regular season, like, yeah, they are the most dominant team in the AHL. We'll see if uh, Abbotsford can give them series you posed a question to me that you wanted to talk about and and i love this as well as we focus in on the vancouver canucks now now the stanley cup playoffs are going on and we've seen how things have changed i I don't know about you like 
I guess just with the way the, the game has sort of been stripped down from some of the nastiness that, you know, was hockey over the years, the, it sort of toned down the regular season like that much more. And of course, as we saw that there wasn't a whole lot of intrigue going into the final weeks of the NHL season because, you know, there wasn't that many races going on. So again, the hockey sort of leveled down, but now we've seen it ratcheted right up and it is hockey that we love. It's nasty. It's a war out there. Uh, when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you asked me, you know, who on the Canucks here has enough grit, enough edge? Like, who would step up from this Canucks team in the postseason? We asked the fans who we thought uh, would excel, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But between you and I, like, I think we're stating the obvious if we say JT Miller. He feels to me like he's the kind of guy that's built for the playoffs. But are we stating the obvious with Elias Pettersson? Would Elias Pettersson hold up when the game ratches it up? Those wingers that they have. Are they nasty enough for the Canucks? Is Connor Garland a playoff type performer? And I'm just using a few names there, but let's start with, you know, with that. Like, who do you think would, would sort of take that next step? Who could be a playoff performer for the Canucks? Right. And the only baseline we've got is the bubble, which was the playoffs, mm-hmm. but it really wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, neutral site, no fans, just not that same nasty atmosphere. That, you know, that's part of playoff hockey is you've got to go into hostile environments and overcome. And so while, you know, some of the Canucks, their first look at playoff hockey in a bubble, the games themselves, they lived up to the hype then. But you have to take into account that that wasn't a true replication of what we think of as hockey. And knock on wood that we don't have to go back to any kind of bubble ever again, let alone anytime soon. So. Leas Patterson is so driven that I think he would level up. And, and we've seen he didn't shy away from contact. Sure. Uh, there were some times this year, like he's, you hear enough about it. You know, he doesn't have the biggest frame, but, you know, I think he's understanding how and, and when to use, you know, the tools that he's got. And, and he's not afraid. So I think Elias Patterson takes on all challengers. You know, can he sustain constant hammering? And that's the thing is that some of these series, it, they're so physical early on. Was it? Vegas and Winnipeg the other night, I think the hits were 73 to 65 or something in a 60-minute game, like a non-overtime game. And obviously, teams are going to be trying to finish checks on Elias Pettersson. And it's not so much about, you know, knocking him out of game one. It's wearing him down over the course of six or seven games, and and guys all have to play through things. So, yes, I mean, yes, I'd like to see Elias Pettersson in playoff action. Well, of course, I want to see Elias Pettersson in playoff action. I want to cover Elias Pettersson in the postseason, but uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how he would handle sort of being a target and guys finishing their checks at every opportunity. JT Miller, as you said, plays playoff hockey almost all season long. So he's a guy, the motor's running. You know, I I think he kind of thrives on those physical battles. And Dakota Joshua led the Canuck forward group in hits, 222 hits. That was top 20 in the National Hockey League this season and 12th among forwards. So I think it's there for Dakota Joshua, but I also think he has to bring it to another level. And so my question isn't even so much about the way this team is constructed, because I do think that they've got to round out the roster with a little bit more, yeah, use the word grid, I would say edge, but I want to be careful here because ultimately, like who's the edgiest guy on the Toronto Maple Leafs? Michael Bunting. He crossed the line and was suspended for three games, and and they've been better without him than they were with him. So there's this, like, 
you know, I can sit there and say, oh, the Canucks need all the edge in the world. Ultimately, they need guys that can play. They need guys that can score. They need guys that are willing to level up. And, you know, look, Phil DiGiuseppe plays hard. He plays in a straight line. Rick Tockett loves that about him. But I don't, I wonder about who initiates on the Vancouver Canucks. That's my question is, can guys withstand some of the heat and the pressure of playoff hockey? Probably. But who's the initiator? Like, who's going out there and throwing the hit to sort of set the tone? And who's face washing in the scrum? And, and, yeah, yeah. And not backing down. And, yeah. and so, like, maybe it is Dakota Joshua. Maybe he has another level that he can take it to. But there's just, for a big guy, there's some nights where, and again, you mentioned, like, it's regular season. It's it's not the same. It's hard to gauge. Uh, you know, and, and so I look through the Canucks. This is just the list of their hits. And I get it, subjective in every building. They're registered a little bit differently. But Dakota Joshua led the way. This is the forward group, 222 hits. JT Miller at 200. So he was in the top 15 among forwards. Then there's this massive drop. Forward on the list is Sheldon Drives. Again, Sheldon Drives gives you what he can, but and I don't think he's leaving his mark on many guys. I mean, he had the hit late in the season in L.A. that led to the fight. But, you know, Elias Pettersson's fourth on the Vancouver Conduction in their forward group and hits this season with 74. That's not even a hit per game. And then the drop continues here. You know, guy Studnika didn't play a full season, but, you know, he's fifth on the forward group. Vasily Podkolzin, and we'll come back to him in a sec. But then you get pretty, like, you know, Brock Besser, 49 hits. Connor Garland, 47. Nils Amon, 44. Andre Kuzmenko, 13 yeah. hits on the season. <laughs> and it's fair to ask. Like, it's one thing to perform in the regular season. Like, he he's never seen the NHL playoffs. Like, how does he perform? And so, you know, unfortunately, and maybe, maybe again, maybe levels up. I don't know, but I think you know it's it's fair to ask that question. Even when he was healthy, like Ilya Mikheyev, thirteen hits as well. Not a guy that's going to leave much of a mark on the hockey club. So uh, that's where I just wonder, like, you know, can some guys absorb some of the punishment? Yeah, probably. But who's initiating? Who's the hammer rather than being the nail? And you know, that's where I said last week, like a guy like Adam Lowry is a third line center. Like that would be a perfect kind of player for me as I'm trying to round out this Vancouver Canuck roster. I'm glad you mentioned his name because I wanted to bounce it off you. Should the Canucks consider going after Michael Bunting now? And I say this, they would have to trim down what they currently have in terms of their, their forward group, their winger group. But is he the type of player? Because this is a guy that's back to back 20. What is it? 23 goal seasons. But last year with a 63-point production, this year it dropped a little bit to 49. So the assists were down. He can be a pain in the ass, mm-hmm. as we've seen. But he can also cross that line, as we saw here in these, in these playoffs. He can be a pain in the ass for both teams. Exactly. I think you said that the Leafs are better without him. Yeah, but that's because they had that, the, the, the depth with Michael Matthew Nye, excuse me. Right? If Nye isn't there, maybe this is a bit of a different conversation right now. Maybe there's a hole in there. Who knows? But that said... You know, he is going to be available this offseason. I mean, you know the way the Leafs are with their cap structure. They're probably going to have to move on from the player. I mean, when you look at those numbers and then you break down, you know, Canucks sort of need in terms of grit or edge or whatever you want to call it, maybe he's one of those guys that they consider. Not well, the biggest guy, and, though. Right. So, and so that's something. To, but, okay, so I said the Leafs, the Leafs have won without him. I'm not. I'm sure they'd like to have him. And no, you know, I think him. you're right. I think there is an argument that they're better without him right now. I think Nice brings more to 
what they have. I mean, again, there's that that there right, but it doesn't have to be either or. And sure, I think the Leafs yeah. would like to have both those guys, you know, pull it uh, on the road. I don't know when you look at the so where does he fit? Right now, we're not doing a well, Leafs fucking right. Excuse me, answer square in there. Where you like where does he fit? You know, he'd be a fourth liner at this point, and I don't know if that's the right spot for him. But that's okay. It. So yeah. to your question about who was his first NHL coach? Yeah, exactly. Arizona there. Right. Rick talking. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> Rick well, talking the answer. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> People probably figured. People probably that didn't. Out, but... I, I don't know if everybody knew that he was in Arizona. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, this is the thing that I, I look at, like Niels Hoaglander, and we've talked about like nice couple of games and, and by all accounts has been really good down on the farm, but another underside guy, undersized guy, like his motor's always running, but talk at once, all these board battlers and, and I just wonder, like, how many undersized, smaller guys will talk it, tolerate? How many can you have? Ultimately, you want guys that get the job done. And it shouldn't matter about their stature. But at the same time, hockey is so slow to evolve that, you know, the big guy always gets every opportunity. And so I don't know about bunting necessarily as the guy. But again, I think a player that is willing like, you know, I, I think of Alex Burroughs and his role, like as much as the twins were the skill and, you know, Ryan Kessler maybe was the heartbeat of the Vancouver. What's the Canucks. difference between Alex Burroughs and, and Michael Bunting? Not enough. I'm just saying maybe Bunting isn't the guy. Like there are other guys in the league that can sort of play that role. So I'm not saying no to Bunting, but I don't know that he ultimately is the guy that they should be going after. But that kind of player, I think, yes, absolutely. That this team, you know, as it tries to forge an identity, I think they need a few more pains in the ass to, yeah. to play against, quite frankly. And and that's where, you know, can Vasily Pod Colson sort of enter the equation to some degree? And, you know, this was such a huge step back for him this year. Like, there can't be a single person that would sit there and say yeah. uh, that he progressed this year. He didn't. He had 14 goals as a rookie. And, you know, that shot, he had, like, four goals and three assists. Seven points in the 39 games he played this year. And look, a 10th overall pick. They've already whiffed on you know, Levy and Vertanen in this cycle. They can't afford another top 10 guy to go by the wayside. They just can't. Like that's, that's just too much, too much opportunity cost, sunk opportunity cost. So Don't I'm watch not right Minnesota about. Wild games right now as well. I know. I know. <laughs> but, so but Pod Colson turns 22 in June. Like he's, he's still young, but. You know, he's also a 2019 draft pick and we're the 2023 drafter on the like four draft cycles, like at some point. And you hope that with this development staff and the resources that the team has poured into all of that, that there are people in place that can bring him along. But it was just such a forgettable season for him. But he's exactly the kind of player, big body, I think would thrive in sort of, you know, small spaces and when the heat gets turned up and all that kind of stuff. But. Man, I need to see so much more from him. The team needs to see so much more from him next year. And I don't know. Like, it's just not the goals and assists. Like, yeah, those totals were way off, but he had 115 shots on goal as a rookie. He had 41 this time around. And so, you know, basically played half the number of games. So you can, you know, 41, even if you double that, like it's way off the 115 shots that he had in his first season as a rookie. You know, he had 52 hits this year in the 39 games that he played, but. Again, I'm not sure that I remember a night where I thought, like, damn, like he's just running guys through the boards. 
And so, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still at a bit of a loss as to where he's going to top out and what exactly he's going to be. But I just know that the Canucks need him to be something here more than he was certainly this past season. Yeah, just when you when you look at the forward group here, like there there's just there's too much of the same really, you know, whether it's it's whether it's Garland, whether it's Besser, maybe Beauvillier, like these are all like they're good players, but are they are they the kind of guys that you're going to win in the playoffs with? And I think those are all like that's a totally fair legit question and and there is a similarity to their game that like they all play in the NHL. Like nobody's saying that these guys aren't NHLers, but it's one thing to do it in you know, low-stress games that ultimately don't mean anything. And then when you see what Vegas and Winnipeg are doing to each other and you're trying to, you know, figure out, like, where would an Anthony Beauvillier slide into that series? And again, like, you know, could he play? Sure. But do I see him as a guy that's out there as a spark plug and, you know, making things happen? I don't, quite frankly. And I guess I'd have to be surprised. And who knows? Who knows if he's even on the Canuck roster by the time they get to uh, to play playoff hockey. But yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to ask those same questions about Besser and Garland. And it's just, you know, again, Nils Amon plays a pretty passive game. I'm not saying that he can't play, but, you know, what does he look like at the playoffs when guys are, you know, punching him? Is he punching back or is he shying away? And, and, you know, the answer we just don't know at this stage, but, you know, doesn't give me the indication that he's a guy that, you know, would be a really difficult guy to play against in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't see Snarl when it comes to Nils Amon. And, and again, with his role, like if, if he's going to be the fourth line center on, on a team, like he's going to have to find that nastiness. You, you just can't, you know, rely on This is if they're going to, you know, take that next step and be that playoff yeah. team. So I know a lot of people want to get behind Nils Amon, but just sort of consider the role and, you know, can he fill that what he's really needed? I question that. We asked the people, which Canucks player do you think would take their game to the next level in the playoffs? We asked them to tell us who and why they think they would excel. Now, there's a lot of people that are saying Petey, Hughes, Demko, and there's a name that we really didn't talk about, but Demko, definitely. That guy is, he's made for the playoffs, right? And we sure, saw that but in, not, in, in the I bubble. mean, that's a, a different lane than the discussion yeah, that we sure. just had. I'm yeah. not expecting, although no, we saw Linus, saw Linus Allmark get into it with Matthew yeah. Chuck. Yeah, and, yeah, but I don't. I don't think that would have went well for Allmark. I, I think not. that was a more of a whole bag sort of situation with the referee. Right? Like, I'm gonna get you. Just if I can get through this ref. Yeah. Uh, Miller's name comes up a lot here. Let's get to some that aren't as obvious though. And Cumpy does say at Cump. I like that name. Nils Amon because he's Nils Amon. I don't know what that even means though. <laughs> because what is Nils Amon? Like I I don't know. Right. Don't, so. Yeah. Buddy Strongbelly says Kyle Burrows, but the thing is, will Kyle Burrows be, you know, to me, Kyle Burrows, if he's going to be around in that situation, like he's probably going to be a depth guy at that point. And then JW does say pods. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. you're right. Like that's the guy that if you're really going to focus in on, on a Canuck that the, that needs to take that step, that needs to, you know, develop into that player that can be a nasty piece of business in the playoffs. It is pod Colson. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering too, just with some of the guys that were available around the trade deadline, like I wonder if the Canucks are sort of kicking themselves for not sort of necessarily going after those types of players that you talked about with Rick, Rick Tockett as well. And maybe they did. Maybe they just couldn't, you know, find a deal. I think of a name like Jordan Greenway, like, you know, how much you and I like his game. And we know that offensively it sort of dipped for him this season. But, you know, that seems to me the type of player that when you hear Rick Tockett talk about the guys that he likes, that, you know, that guy would sort of fit there. So. Interesting offseason here for the Canucks. I also think that there is going to be a lot of movement. They, they've got pieces to trade. Like, they've got pieces. It's just whether or not people find those pieces to value. If 
find them valuable. Like, does somebody think that Connor Garland can can bring something to their team? You know, maybe Brock Besser. Maybe somebody thinks that Brock Besser can become that thirty goal scorer that he saw him in himself at the start of the year. So. Yeah, I mean, the problem there is, and we've seen that we saw it at the deadline this year as well, is that wingers don't have the same value as True. centers and as defensemen, particularly right shot guys. And so to have this surplus of wingers and everybody knows you've got them and everybody knows that the Canucks are trying to move some of them as well, like they are not dealing from a position of strength in that regard. And, and so I, you know, that's the thing. Like people have talked about Connor Garland and, oh, maybe they buy Connor Garland out. And I'm like, really? Like, you couldn't find a trade partner. Like there isn't a team out there that's willing to give you something for Connor Garland. But do think the Canucks, unfortunately, I mean, they've probably made the phone calls and they've probably been underwhelmed by, you know, the kind of offers that are out there. So this is where the Canucks and by extension, their fans, like got to be careful. People in this market have been guilty over the years of, you know, overvaluing what the Vancouver Canucks have. And I think that's kind of where we are in all of this right now is that, yeah, they've got all these wingers, but, the Islanders were trying to move Beauvillier for much of the season and finally were able to package him in in the Horvat deal. But, you know, on his own, I think they were having trouble moving on that player. And, and I think we've seen with Besser and probably to a lesser degree, Connor Garland, you know, that just teams don't value wingers that need to play with play drivers. Like those guys, just they aren't making things happen on their own. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. All right, all that, you know, will the Canucks make the playoffs and who will step up talk? Let's get into some playoff talk, uh, which is presented by Jason Hominick at Jason dot mortgage. Let's start down in La La Land with the Oilers and Kings. It's all knotted up at two games apiece now, but boy, were Oiler fans scared last night down three nothing. They battle back. They end up winning it in overtime. Zach Hyman, the OT winner. Question I think now is: Is it Jack Campbell time? Are they going to ride Soupy now in the playoffs? Uh my hunch is no, but I don't make that call. You know, it's funny. I watched the the hockey night panel, and they brought Derek Lalon, the Wings head coach, and. You know, they put that question after one period. And, you know, no, you can't, you know, if you make the goalie change, like that's letting the players off the hook. And, you know, I mean, he was just given an honest opinion of what he would do. And then sure enough, they go and make the goaltending change and, and the comeback was on. So, you know, it's hard to read. Nobody's given up secrets at this time of the year. So we may have to wait a whole lot closer to game time, maybe get an indication of the morning skate. Although a lot of teams by the middle of a series, they're not doing much of morning skates. It's all about rest and, and recovery. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be fascinating to go where it goes like look i'm glad that the oilers won just because i want more of the series i I want so you know 
don't really have a dog in the fight. And lots of people would say, hey, you know, get the Oilers out of there and, you know, more misery for, for fans in Edmonton. And it may still come. Like, just because they've evened the series doesn't mean they're out of the woods at all, but certainly in a better spot than being down 3-1 heading home. Yeah, like that was fantastic stuff. And, you know, they got their power play in overtime and didn't do anything with it. And I thought, like, that's going to be their missed opportunity and they can't complain. Like, you know, that was the complaint on Friday night was the, you know, the phantom non-call, the high stick, whatever. The Kings have won two games in overtime, both of them on power plays. Oilers, who had the best power play in the NHL, got their power play overtime chance and didn't make anything of it. So I kind of thought that might come back to bite them. But ultimately, Zach Hyman, who had been pretty quiet to that point, he gets the job done. So, I mean, that series has the potential to go seven. I thought at the outset, maybe it did. But certainly now it kind of feels like uh, they may go the distance there. You know, one of the side notes that, and we followed this down the stretch because the Canucks saw the Kings an awful lot. You know, Alex Edler got hurt in Vancouver when the Kings were here with about 10 days to go and didn't play the rest of the regular season, but he did get back in time for the playoffs. Well, he played 18 minutes in the opening game. His ice time has basically decreased, almost been cut in half since then, and he turned 37 last week. So he's out of contract after this season. It does feel like this is probably the end of the line for Alex Edler. I wonder, like, does he play again? Like, he had one shift in the third period over the final 16 minutes of the third period and one shift in overtime last night. That was at home where the Kings could shelter him and dictate the matchups. They can't do that on the road. And I just think that the Kings, they recognize at this stage of his career and his mobility, like the owners are going to jump McDavid every opportunity they get. And I just don't know if it looked like the Kings felt that they couldn't afford to put themselves in that situation last night. So really interesting to see where it goes from Alex Adler. You know, I mean, obviously was one of the all-time greats for the Vancouver Canucks and extended his career. But I do wonder if the Kings are just recognizing now at 37 and the speed of the game, if, you know, he's a bit of a liability now and they just can't afford to to have him out on the ice. Obviously, massive opportunity missed for L.A., but uh, I think at 2-2, like, I'm not counting them out. Oh, they I'm, got Fiala back now? Yeah. 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 Uh, Avs and Kraken, Colorado now with the series lead at 2-1. It just seems like the superstar is really starting to take over in that series, in particular, Nate McKinnon. I mean, the, the goals that he scored, the one shift, like, again, he's just so much fun to watch when he is, when he's dealing. And the breakaway, when he got shot out of a cannon there, and, and I mean, his speed is just insane. So, yeah, I mean, that's, Seattle's got depth, but they don't have the star power. And when the star power shows up and takes over, that's where a team like the Kraken, but really any team trying to defend the Avalanche, that's when they're going to be in trouble. But again, Seattle's on the board in the series. They got the opener. Now, a little bit of pressure but great atmosphere there at the Climate Pledge the other night. And so let's see where it goes from here. But if Nathan McKinnon, you know, is at the top of his game, then Kraken are, they're going to be in tough, certainly. And again, we talked about this earlier, where the Canucks whiffed on Vertanen and Yolevi. Obviously, Colorado had the first overall pick in 2013, and they got it right with Nathan McKinnon. But, you know, Miko Rantanen, again, I think people forget, was a 10th overall pick, like just an absolute stud. And then you've got Kale McCarr, you've got Bowen Byram, you know, like those were all top 10 picks that have panned out for that Colorado team. And so get opportunities at the top of the draft. You got to hit on them. You, you can maybe afford to miss one, but you, you can't swing and miss on two in the top 10 the way the Canucks have here in the last decade. And, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, they're on the outside looking in and a team like Colorado 
trying to back up the cup that it won a year ago. Uh, rounding out the West, Golden Knights head of the Jets 2-1, and the Stars and the Wild are now evened up at two games apiece. I mean, both those those series are wars really out there, but let's start just with Vegas and Winnipeg, a good atmosphere in Winnipeg, by the way. But are you starting to see now why this Vegas team is one of the best teams in the West? Yeah, I mean, anybody that's listening knows that I've questioned Vegas. That was my game of the weekend, though. Saturday afternoon was, and look, like Edmonton last night was incredible. Toronto coming back and, and beating Tampa in overtime with the fights and stuff. But for me, the game of the weekend was Vegas in double overtime on Saturday with the Jets down and scoring. That Keegan Colasar hit on Adam Lowry that sparked the fight with Brendan Dillon, like the atmosphere, the whiteout, like that just, that game had it all. Like I, I was mesmerized. I was, I was drunk on that hockey game. Like I couldn't get enough. And so, yeah, let's see what happens. How do, I don't know how you, <laughs> how do you back that up? If you're those two teams, what do they have for an encore? But we'll find out here. But yeah, you know, Jack Eichel's into it now. And again, a guy that had to wait a long time to get his first taste to playoff hockey. And, you know, there were some questions about how would he respond? He's not the most physical guy, but he's been dialed in and, and has looked awfully good. And yeah, I mean, Vegas has some depth and you saw it in overtime audio with the, the winner there. So we're just incredible stuff. And, and again, another series that certainly has the feel of going the distance, but Vegas can change that conversation in a hurry with another win in Winnipeg tonight. Would you say the same about the uh, Stars in the Wild? Do you think that well, one's going Dallas, seven? They need it. Yeah, I mean, I think at the outset, that one had seven yeah. written on it, and then Minnie goes in and, and gets overtime winner sort of against the grain, but man, did Dallas need a win. I still don't think Dallas's best players, we've had the Jason Robertson conversation, like he was involved on the Sagan goal, but I, I still, I just, I watched a lot of that game and I just don't see it from him. And I, I keep waiting. Like, I know that there's a better hockey player there. But man, Dallas needed that. And, uh, Ottinger was incredible. So, uh, you know, a ton of goaltending in that series. I don't think Dean Evison will make the mistake of going away from Philip Gustafson as they shift back to Dallas. But yeah, all indications there. You know, Minnesota's game plan clearly is to be physical. Dallas, not the most physical team. And then, you know, I did, did many get hosed on a couple of calls? You know, there's a lot of talk about officiating here in the first round. And, and I get it because like, it's a tough job and they get one look at it most of the time, unless they apply the major penalty and get to review. But for most of those minors, you get one look in real time and you're trying to make a call. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of calls that I thought probably shouldn't have been penalties, but you know, over the course of a long series, you want to believe that it all evens out and. Really interested to see where it goes from here for Minnesota because Kirill Kaprizov, you know, he missed so much time down the stretch. I don't think he has looked himself yet, but maybe that's dangerous if you're Dallas that, you know, he's lurking there somewhere and could be an absolute game changer on They're any getting night. their licks in on him, though. That, that's yep. one thing I've noticed. That he's really fighting through a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of how the Dallas Stars play. Even, yep. you know, they moved away from Rick Bonus, but Pete DeBoer is there. That's still the DNA of that hockey club. But Ottinger was so good yesterday yeah. uh, in the early going. Dallas giving up a bunch of odd man rushes, which is not out of their playbook generally, but Ottinger was there to to mop up for them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what you love. Like the storylines start to emerge the deeper these series go and the hate is on now. It's hard to, you know, Dallas has home ice. We'll see if they can use that to their advantage. But really, it's there isn't a whole lot to choose between those two teams. And, you know, Joel Erickson Eck uh, tried to come back and played one shift. And, yeah, that's a big seconds. loss for... Yeah. That's a loss for many, but Joe Pavelski being out of the series, and we'll yep. see if there's any chance he gets back in. But 
you know, that's a, that's obviously a blow for the Dallas Stars. So just so much good stuff going on. And the fact that there's not going to be any sweeps here in the first round, that's great because it just means more teams are still around and still alive and still with a chance to make something happen. Yeah, Rupe Hints is the uh, guy right now yeah. for Dallas. Eight points in four games. But, uh, you know, Jason Robertson, for as quiet as he seems on the ice, he's still a point. I know he's player. a point of game guy. Like, I get it, I, but I still. Just, I don't see the flashes either. Like, when you think of 100-point players, or you, like, you know, you think of the guys, like, whether it's, you know, McDavid or Dreisaitl or McKinnon, like, these guys jump off the page when you watch them. I don't oh, even Leo Pedersen, obviously. Like Pedersen had, yeah. you know, Pedersen had three five-point nights and had the, yeah. the deeks and the moves. Like, I just don't see it with Robertson. Yeah. But again, maybe, or said the same thing about Kaprizov. Like, you know, Minnesota has to recognize that Robertson hasn't really arrived in this series yet. Even though he's a point-a-game guy, he hasn't taken over a game. And you get to 100 points in the NHL, clearly you had some nights where you were the best player, hands down. All right, over in the East, uh, we got a little bit of intrigue with the uh, Leafs and Lightning series and Rangers and Devils. Canes and Isles are at 3-1 right now. Bruins and Panthers are at 3-1. Boston leading that, Carolina leading uh, those series respectively. Let's go to Toronto and Tampa, though. Toronto pulled one out of the fire. And really, if you know Leaf fans, they were probably all like wondering how the hell they actually did that because those things don't normally happen. Good things don't normally happen. To the Toronto Maple Leafs, J-Pat. I don't think you've, I don't know if you noticed that over the years, but they're able to pull that one out. I think off the back of their goaltender there, but also to trade deadline acquisition in Ryan O'Reilly, which is proving to be a big factor, no pun intended in the series. Yeah. Well, certainly came through with the goal that they needed to get over time and found his space, made a great play to kick the puck up to his stick too. Like, you know. We marvel at all the skill, but sometimes it's the little, like small spaces plays that guys at that level make and. For O'Reilly to get his, you know, stand his ground in front of the net, but then puck comes to him, kicks it to a stick, and is able to to put it in, squeeze it past Vasilevsky. So obviously a big goal. You know, just to bring things back to the Canucks, as we do here on Rink Wide, mm-hmm. you've heard me strum about they need some defensemen that can score goals. And, you know, there was nothing special about Morgan Riley's overtime winner, but he got a puck, you know, face-off play and up the boards and gets a shot through and on net. At the same time, you know, Dougie Hamilton's jumping up into the rush for the devils like defensemen there's nothing in the rule book that says defensemen can't score overtime winners or score goals in the playoffs roy for los angeles looked like he scored a big one you know it's happening around the nhl and i thought saturday was instructive that you know two guys score overtime winners and they're defensemen there so again i just another area that the vancouver canucks have to look at but yeah like i love the fact that the hate is on for between those teams and no surprise. I mean, they've known they were playing each other. They faced each other last year. Uh, I love that scene at the bench where all those guys were jawing at Luke Shen and Shen's just like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like, heard it all. I've been at this a while, guys. It's like, you know, there's really nothing you can say that's going to phase me, but just a, you know, Tanner's, you know, just a mouthpiece there. But I mean, he can back it up, obviously, but you know, everybody seemed to want a piece of the sheriff and Luke Shen just kind of standing in his ground. And yeah, I don't need McDavid. I don't. Need- Austin Matthews and Steven Stamkos fighting, but they did like, you know, again, like these are competitive guys and, you know, they got to be prepared to battle too. Like, you know, you can't just be the tough guys playoff time. Like you're all in it together. Then, Hey, if you get pushed, you got to be willing to push back. And so, I mean, it was funny to see how much, you know, I know the cap doesn't apply in the playoffs, but just how much salary cap was in the penalty box after that exchange and Kucherov's in there, Stamkos is in there, Matthews for the Leafs and, you know, I think that'll buy a fair bit of currency in the locker room on both sides that uh, star guys are willing to you know, roll up their sleeves and 
and get dirty. It's not going to happen every night. I get that. But certain situations in the playoffs, hey, you got to be down in the trenches with the rest of your teammates. And so now, obviously, it's pressure on Tampa. We'll see how they respond. And they were the better team. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the night, we scored more goals than the Leafs did. And they got the one they needed late in the game. They got the one that they really needed in overtime. So kind of curious. Tampa's got pedigree and the chops and all that kind of stuff. They're an experienced bunch. They're going to have to rely on some of that uh, in game four here. Yeah. And to bring it back to the Canucks as well and talk about importance of a trade deadline pickups, like Luke Shen has played every game in this series. Yep. And Luke Shen, when he was originally brought in, like Toronto really wanted to bolster their defense, really get that depth up. And they needed some snarl in their lineup. They got it with Luke Shen. I think they got it a bit with uh, Ryan O'Reilly as well. Two big trade deadline pickups for Toronto. However, Islander fans might argue, and I know it was a little bit before the trade deadline, but they might argue that uh, they want a do-over with the Bo Horvat trade. He hasn't really you know, offensively been the Bo Horvat that he was in, in Vancouver with the Islanders. Just one goal now in the playoffs in this series, and it was a shorthanded doubt in a lot. Yeah, and it was also in garbage time, and it yeah. was 5-1, to one, and he scores to make it 5-2. to two. I don't think that uh, does a whole lot to lower the volume around him. What a fascinating... We all know this player so well here in Vancouver, and yet just the center of so much debate around, you know, his contributions, contract extension, but they're playing playoff hockey. Now, they may only get one more kick at it here because they're in trouble now against Carolina, but, you know, they were below the playoff bar when they made the trade, and they lost Barzell, and Bo Horvat took on a bunch of big minutes, matchups, and all those types of things. I'm not sure that they make the playoffs if they don't make the trade. So on that level, you know, was it worth the to the Islanders to just to make the playoffs? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. But they did make the playoffs, and obviously the Canucks didn't. But yeah, I mean, how anybody thinks that Bo's going to live up to the contract that hasn't even started yet, uh, that's a different discussion. And I think people that watched him here in Vancouver closely knew that that was an overpayment that the Canucks just couldn't afford to make. The Islanders... They did, but how is that contract going to age? And, you know, how many good years can they squeeze out of Bo Horvat? Again, I'm shocked that a guy that had that much confidence and was just playing at that level here in Vancouver, that some of that didn't translate. You know, I I didn't expect him to be on the 40-goal pace that he was on when he left here, or 50-goal pace. But just to see him a non-factor offensively playing as much as he is, I I don't know. Like, I'm at a loss to explain that. and yet. He and the Islanders are one loss away, and they're you know, they got to go back to Carolina now. You know their season probably comes to an end in five, and and so I'll be curious. I'll read with a lot of interest, sort of you know the obits on the Islanders' season when it comes. Was it worth the investment? Was it worth the gamble for them? Yes, they made the playoffs, but they didn't stick around for long. And it hasn't just been Horvat. Let's be clear here. You know it's not just one guy, but when you go all in and make that kind of trade and part with the assets, first rounder, and you know yeah, you're expecting. A little bit more, obviously, than Bo Horvat has provided. Well, Highlander fans better get used to him because they got eight more years of Bo. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise. 
fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog. Make a play at Canada's Choice for free casino games, sports odds, and poker strategies. Let's start with Bodog, actually. As we had a poll question that is presented by Bodog that we handed out to the people last week. And we put it out on Friday and let it sort of marinate over the weekend. And we asked, which RFA player do the Canucks qualify? Vitaly Kraftsoff at 840K, Travis Dermott at 1.75 million, both or neither. Where do you think the fans went just over 1,050 votes, J-Pat? I can say neither. Yes, sir. You are correct. But it was close, though. Vitaly Kravtsov had 36.8% of the vote. Neither had 44.5% of the vote. Travis Dermott getting no love at 8.1%, both at 10.6%. If you had to choose, would you would you have chosen neither as well? I think so. Uh, Kravtsov didn't do enough for me. I just, you know, the hope was change the scenery, the Russian connection, all that kind of stuff. And there just there was nothing there. I mean, college guys are coming in and playing in front of them. Down the stretch, you could tell that Rick Tockett kind of had enough. They tried him with Pedersen. There was nothing there. Yet he's only 23, and he's on his second NHL team, and he was a top-10 pick and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Like, when every dollar matters, I'm just not sure that I'm using a contract on Vitaly Kravtsov. And Travis Dermott's just been out of sight, out of mind. I mean, he played 11 games, and I know Patrick Green talked about the good training camp. I don't even remember. Like, honestly, I don't remember what kind of training camp and preseason he had because he got hurt before the season started and and then, you know, got into 11 games, but certainly wasn't anywhere close to his best. So I like the idea of Travis Dermott at the time of the trade, but they have gone out and they have, you know, added some pieces on the back end, whether it's Akito Hiroshi, whether it's Cole McWard, whether it's, uh, you know, Philip Johansson's going to get an opportunity. It'd be interesting to see if Johansson does get into any of these games in the Abbotsford playoffs now that he's here. I just... Yeah, I think I would turn the page from both of those guys. So can't remember if I did vote in the poll, but if I had, I would have voted neither. Yeah. If I didn't, then I've casted my vote in that direction now. Do you see a left side of Hughes, OEL, and Hirose? No, because there's all that talk about Gavrikov and, you know, the ties to... But the to Kings might want, to, might want to hold on to him, no? Like, they might. I'm, yeah. But they've got so much in their system as well that... You know, clearly Corpus Allo's turned out to be oh, yes. the bigger part of that trade for them. No, again, we can talk and we have about OEL. It's one thing to say, hey, go have a big summer. It's another to have a big summer and come back and, and prove that, you know, you can be something close to the player that the team still believes you can be. So I'm expecting that there'll be some movement there. Again, if they could reallocate some of the money that they've got tied up in the wings to defense, I think that would probably be a wise call on the part of the Vancouver Canucks, but easier said than done. So, you know, to come back with a, a left side, Akito Hiroshi looked good, but, you know, it's funny when you look at the underlying numbers, like the underlying numbers were not kind to Akito Hiroshi in the, whatever he played, seven games ultimately. So I think we got, you know, swept away that yes, he, there was no panic in his game and he had that long stretch pass to Kuzmenko in Anaheim that led to a power play goal. I'm not sure that the seven games were as sort of great as we made them out to be in the moment, ultimately. And it's one of those eye tests versus the, you know, the underlying numbers and, and the stats and be curious to, you know, his name didn't really ever come up at that year end availability a week ago. There were just so many other issues. 
you know, Tockett seemed to like what he saw from Hiroshi, but, you know, does he need time in the American Hockey League or is he going to bypass the AHL entirely? I don't know at this stage. And without knowing, you know, how much money do the Canucks have to go into the market with, um, you know, what do they value? I just, I find it hard to believe that that would be the left side of their defense to start next season would be Hughes, OEL, and Hiroshi. All right. Uh, as far as my best bets are concerned, I was cold going into these playoffs. I hadn't hit one yet. And this one was so easy, though. I bet Connor McDavid anytime goal scorer in game three. That was on Friday night. He scored twice. We knew it was going to happen. So I ended up getting that. It was minus money on that. So you had to put some down to make yeah, some. But but, the, wow. You needed a win. You yeah, needed exactly. a win. Exactly. How are you feeling about this one tonight? All right. You know this bet because I've done it a few times with the Canucks during the season, but I've got in the Toronto Tampa game, no goal scored within the first nine minutes and 30 seconds of the game at plus 130. I feel like really this is kind of stating the obvious is a very pivotal game, right? And I feel like it's going to be a chess match tonight. I feel like it might be a three, two, four, two, four, three game, maybe overtime. But I don't see a goal early on in this one. Might be a goal scored in the first period. Just don't see it in the first 9-30. I look at that and think that there was so much heat in the game the other night that there could be a little bit of carryover. Both teams trying to flex, not wanting to give an inch. Does somebody take a penalty? And do ref do the refs try to clamp down and have the whistles out early? And if you put them on the power play, that's where your bet maybe runs into some trouble. So... I'm not sure that I'm liking that bet for this one tonight. I like your point. I do like your point because you're right. The the referees are probably going to want to set some sort of tone. I also wonder if the guys are going to be gripping their sticks a little bit tighter tonight. Yep. Because as confident as Tampa is, I think there might be a little bit of a chink in their shield right now. Like, I think they might perhaps be, you know, talking a big game, acting a big game, but back of the mind, holy shit, this could be it. It's funny, I saw a thread that, I mean, there's been so much to talk about refereeing and obviously teams that lose, that's, you know, it's not the other team that's the number one enemy, it's the officials always. But I saw somebody that suggested, like, would the league be better off to assign officials to individual series and let the same refs, like, you know, get the feel for the series, the storylines, be there night after night, build up a rapport, they move the referees around. And sometimes I think these refs come into a series and maybe they've seen some highlights, they read about it, and they're going to be the guy that, you know, is going to clamp down early and not have none of this nonsense, not on my watch. And I just got me thinking, like, I don't know how that would be received in hockey if it was, okay, these are your refs for this series. Deal with it. And, you know, if a team, like, would there be too much manipulation of the officials? Would there be... You know, would that become sort of a sidebar to all of this? The coaches trying to work the officials through the media? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I do wonder sometimes if, you know, the league tries to work away from that. They don't want the same guys involved. So they move them, you know, from the guys that were involved in the high stick, you know, overtime in L.A. You know, that was the same crew that then went to Minnesota for game four. And then the Wild weren't happy with maybe they're just bad refs in the first round. You need to go pretty deep on your roster. What if you were assigned crappy officials? Like, so I don't know. It just, it got me thinking that like, I wasn't totally opposed to it just because I think if, if the officials settled into a series, you know, maybe they'd have a better feel yeah. for it than guys that are just being airlifted in from night to night. But clearly the league hasn't gone down that road. So 
it's not something that they think is the answer to all of this, but it just, it wasn't, it was just an idea that I hadn't thought a lot about. And I thought there could be some merit to that. Well, I'll tell you what, Lee fans don't want Wes McCauley. <laughs> it doesn't seem like anybody does right now, but yet he's usually universally regarded as one of the best that the league has. So they just call the game the same way they do in the regular season as they do in the playoffs. But as we've seen, hockey changes once things are at stake. All right, buddy. It's another edition of the Rink-Wide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog for Jeff Patterson. I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rink-Wide is the show that always scores.